Good morning, church. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always interesting to get an early snow. We had one in October. This is our second one now in November. And I don't know. I woke up yesterday morning and I was like, not anticipating a couple inches of snow on the ground. It's beautiful. I love it. I love to see it. I'm not a fan of the cold anymore. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'll have to figure out where I need to go for that. We are going to be in Second Peter. We're going to look at verses 10, the second half of 10, really through 22. We were talking about that this morning in small group a little bit. <clears throat> and around 450 to, to, to 550 BC is kind of when some monks got together and started putting together the numbers and the verses and all those sorts of things in the Bible and why they decided in the middle of sentence breaks to change verses or to do some of the things that they did or paragraphs and there's a verse that carries over. We're not sure uh, what was happening with those monks, but there we are. This is what we have. So we are in Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, <clears throat> if you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. It's on the screen. If you do have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Second Peter 2 and let's hear the word of the Lord. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. <laughs> a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they, intent, they entice by sensual passions of flesh those who barely are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise the freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? <coughs> Father, we just thank you so much for this time we have. We thank you for difficult and sometimes troubling passages of Scripture that we can go through. Father, we pray that as we, we do this, that you would illumine our eyes and illumine our hearts to 
to your word and, and give us a greater understanding of, of the nature of those who are, who are teaching false things, false doctrine and false gospels. Fathers, we, we look into what, what the Apostle Peter through the Holy Spirit has said here to us about this. We pray that you would guard up our hearts to the truth of the gospel. You would, you would carry us and, and convict us and draw us closer to you through your word. Father, I pray that you would just put me aside and let, let your word be spoken and your word be exhorted here. Father, may we honor and glorify you in this time of worship through the hearing and response to your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So have you ever heard of those scared straight programs? You guys know what I'm talking about? The, the, the programs where they, they send juvenile offenders to spend a night in a, an actual prison or a jail um, sometimes they take some of these at-risk kids and they'll, they'll send them off for a, a boot camp for a week or two to try to scare them into uh, doing the right thing, right? They'll have officers from the Department of Corrections. They may have local law enforcement officers running these things, and they get to some of those really tough tactics to try to change kids a little bit, try to, try to scare them out of it. Like they're, The programs are designed by nature to be super in your face, to be really brash, really loud, um, ideally, they're supposed to be tough love carried out to the nth degree. You know, if, if, if there's a, a love pendulum and, and, and this is the tough love side, then they're way up here swinging real high on that tough love side is how these are designed to work. So that the young people will see the error of their ways and they'll make a change for the better. Right? This section of 2 Peter chapter 2 is kind of what's happening here, that Peter is really getting brash and loud and kind of in the face of the readers about the false teachers around them. He warns them about the characters of these false teachers, and he's really descriptive about how just debased these people are. Um, he, he warns them yet again of the influence of these false teachers and, and how they can lead people astray and, and, and how powerful that influence can have and how they, they, they target specifically weaker, younger less mature uh, folks in Christ, enticing them back into their lives of sin. These false teachers are, are really bold and they're really reckless in, in a real foolhardy manner, right? They're stubborn, they're arrogant, and, and so much so that when we read what, what Peter's saying, he, is that they literally tread where angels dare not tread in their arrogance against God. They blaspheme the fallen angels, those that we refer to as demons, recklessly dismissing the fact that, that these are demonic powers and they do have power and that they, they are willfully sinning openly. And that willful sinning opens them up to demonic attacks. There's this arrogance here that, that's, that's huge and it's really just very simply audacious in their arrogance. In Jude 9... Second uh, Peter and, and Jude read very similarly sometimes. And in Jude 9, there's a story in which Michael the archangel is disputed with Satan over the body of Moses. Remember that when, when Moses died, before they could get into the promised land, that, that he, he, God wouldn't let the Israelites bury Moses. He said, no, no, I'll take care of this. That way they weren't lifting Moses up to be exonerated and to be lit, praised. God took care of it. Well, Jude 9, there's a story that that Jude tells about Michael the archangel. He's getting ready to go take, I guess, bury Moses on, on behalf of God being his servant. And Satan wants to, to argue about who gets to do this. 
Michael the archangel says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Not I rebuke you, not the people of Israel rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you. See, Michael the archangel respected his place under the authority of God. He knew it was not his place to cast Satan away, but it was the Lord's place to do so. See, these false teachers seem to have forgotten that they do not have the power nor the authority to do such a thing. And they're doing that sort of thing. And this, this really, for us today, this should be a warning to us because it's, it's not uncommon amongst Christian circles, amongst church circles, to hear proclamations like, I rebuke you, Satan. Or, I bind the demon of fear. Or, I rebuke the spirit of jealousy. Be cautious of that. If Michael the archangel, who Peter describes as greater in might and power, knew his place and he kept himself restrained, how much more should we as people? In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that ours is a stance of defense against the demonic powers of, the, of this world rather than a stance of offense. We need to be mindful of that. It, it, is, it is very unwise for Christians to dabble in the paranormal. Christians that are unwise then, then take I, I, this, the idea of demonic activity, take it lightly. And that's unwise of us as well. The good wise angels, just like the good wise followers of Christ, know better than that. Wise angels and wise peoples do not take the evil powers lightly. We know that God has already defeated them. But we don't take it lightly. We don't go out looking for trouble in this realm. Not only do we see these, these false teachers as being bold and reckless, Peter describes them as being irrational. Right? He says that they act like animals, incapable of, of acting in reason or in truth. They only act on instinct. These false teachers act in a manner that, that ignores the most basic human values. And what's scary is when we look at this, they act this way, yet they pose as Christians. And, and they've posed so well as Christians that they're even getting to partake in the Lord's Supper alongside the true faithful servants of Jesus Christ. They've infiltrated the local church. And it's weird to think because here they are. These are, these are people who, who follow their flesh and not their minds. They, they talk and talk and talk and talk about things they don't really know about. And they have this inability to be quiet when they should be quiet. And it's that inability to, to not shut up when they ought to shut up that they will make these false teachers become victims of their own desires. They'll become victims of their own flesh. They will reap what they sow. And they will be destroyed by their own passions. But understand this. They are guilty of a profound blasphemy. They are guilty of, of profound blasphemy. And they're guilty of lascivious living. Like they, they just, they're there. They have this over-the-top arrogance and they're out there peddling heresy left and right, not knowing that it's going to come back to get them. These eyes of the false teachers, he continues to talk about them, are so filled with adultery that just about every woman they see 
They just think, hmm, yep, I could get her. That's horrible. It's sickening. They're insatiable for sin. Their, their appetite for sin is just never satisfied. And what is worse about this is that their desire for sin is that they entice others to join them in their debauched acts. They have this, this desire for sexual sin and they have this desire for greed and it characterizes who they are. They exploit believers with their lies and they take advantage of them. And the sad thing is, is Peter's writing this 2,000 years ago-ish. And it still feels and rings true today. False teachers are marked by greed, sexual sin, and dishonesty. It's one of those things that it seems like we can click on the news at 6 o'clock and we hear about a pastor resigning because of some moral failure. Those moral failures typically boil down to sexual sin, greed, and extortion from the church or lying about something. It's all the same. And, and these guys continue to do this. The false teachers of Peter's time, he says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. So not only are these guys going out and they're partying it up and whooping it up at night, they can't get enough of it at night, so they bring it into the streets in the morning. And they continue on with it during the day. While decent people are out there working, the false teachers are out rabble-rousing and stirring up a commotion. Now, we've, we've preached a lot in the New Testament. We preached through First and Second Corinthians, and we, we read the letter to the Corinthians uh, church, and Paul chastised them within the local church for tolerating a sin that even the unbelievers would find heinous. Right, when he was writing to them about the man sleeping with his stepmother. Peter's getting to the same idea here. What these false teachers are doing, in broad daylight, mind you, are things that the unregenerative local Roman citizenry don't even condone. That is hedonistic as, as, the, as, as the Greeks and Romans were this time, is into seeking their own pleasure as they were, what these false teachers are doing in broad daylight is what he's saying here. They revel in the daytime, right? Is even things that those folks don't condone. Their desire for sinfulness has no limits. It is completely unquenchable. To the point that he continues on and says that they are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. And again, while they feast with you. Now, we don't know all the details. Peter doesn't include all of them here. But what we can see is that they are perverting the time gathered for the Lord's Supper. Now, the early church did the Lord's Supper very differently than we currently do the Lord's Supper. It was literally a meal. They hosted a family meal that they would gather together in the church or wherever the church was meeting, and they would have a meal, and they would do the portion of the meal that came down to the bread and the wine, and they would do that in remembrance of Christ rather than doing wafers or bread or, or cup of grape juice or however we choose to now do that they did it a little differently it was a a gathering and it was part of their integral worship and part of their integral fellowship but these folks these false teachers 
took this beautiful time of the Lord's Supper, this, this solemn memorial to the, to the body and blood of Jesus Christ, to the death and the burial and the resurrection. And, and they were perverting it somehow. Peter calls them blots and blemishes because right now, because they join in for that Lord's Supper time, that, that they are now associated with the faith family. They're associated with the community of believers, but yet their behaviors are defiling the name of Jesus Christ outside of the church. They're defiling our Lord and Savior. And the thing is, is these false teachers travel to refuse this wicked road that they have on their own. They want others to come in. Scripture says that they entice unsteady souls. See, they're influential and they know how to lure others down their, their perverse path. I love that when, when Peter's using these <coughs> terms like entice and lure, he's writing here, he's using his old fishing terms. It's the same thing. They know how to wiggle that bait just right to make that bass hit. Well, those bass are, are, are unbelievers or the bass are the, the new believers in the church. And they're wiggling that bait just right. And, and it seems that they're, they're making this appeal to the people's most base senses and their most base desires. And they're, they're making these false promises that there's, there's no consequences for this. If God has given you freedom in Jesus Christ, do what you want to do. And that is a lie. It is a lie. Because, see, here's the thing. Sin, much like misery, loves company. It doesn't want to be out there by itself and doing it. These false teachers will do whatever it takes to coax others into their wicked web of deceit. And understand this, that, that we have the pleasures of life, sex, food, entertainment, in and of themselves. These are not bad. These are, these are gifts from God for our joy and for our benefit. But what these folks are teaching is to pursue them above pursuing God. Pursue these pleasures of life above pursuing holiness and the God who saved you. When you go to pursue the pleasures of life, you're running a fool's errand. Pursuing earthly desires can entrap us and make us slaves to that pursuit. But yet, when Christ saved us, he made us a bondservant to him. We cannot serve the two masters. It's one or the other. And when Peter calls these false teachers here accursed children, he's giving them an assurance. He's giving the reader of these letters an assurance that the heretics who are leading people astray will face God's condemnation and they will face God's destruction. And they're going to do that for the fact that they are leading people astray. This whole chapter, all of chapter 2 from verse 1 all the way to the end here is about false teachers and how destructive they are. And Peter's like, don't worry about them. Worry about you. Stand up to it. Combat it. But, but be assured, God will handle this. You focus where you need to focus. Combating the false teachings with the truth of the real gospel. 
don't let others be led astray. He continues on saying that they have followed the way of Balaam. And this, this speaks of a life spent gaining things at other people's expense and by wrongdoing. Do you guys remember the story of Balaam? Balaam's one of those really interesting stories in, in the scripture. It goes way back to Numbers chapter 22. And Balaam was basically a prophet for hire. Right? That, was, that was his gig. You know, put a shingle out in front of his hut, prophet for sale, right? You know, that was kind of what he did. And he was persuaded by the enemies of Israel to place a curse on them as they were coming out of Egypt. Well, what Balaam wasn't expecting was for God to speak to him and warn him against this. So Balaam went to the guys and said, look, God said I'm not supposed to speak a a curse against people that he has blessed, so I'm not going to do it. We'll offer you more money. Oh, well, now that you're saying you'll offer me more money, that doesn't sound like such a bad idea. So then Balaam takes the money and he rides off with these men to do this. Well, God was pretty angry, right? Balaam persisted in what God had said, don't do. God was angry about it. God was angry enough about it that he sent an angel specifically to kill Balaam. That was that that angel's job for that day. Well, Balaam's out there and he's riding on his donkey with these men that were enemies of Israel. And the donkey's like, "Mm, I'm stopped. I'm not going anywhere else. Balaam's goading the donkey, trying to get it to go. Donkey's not moving. Balaam eventually gets off the donkey, starts beating the donkey. And the donkey says, dude, stop. There's an angel up there going to kill you and you need to leave me alone. I'm trying to save your life. And that's when Balaam could then see the angel that God sent. See, the Lord caused the donkey to speak to Balaam and, and the donkey spoke sense into Balaam. The angel had a drawn sword and was ready to go. See, these false teachers are like Balaam. They'll do anything for a price, right? Balaam was supposed to be a spiritual man of God, but but he was condemned in Scripture for his greed. And it's really interesting to think that, that the donkey speaking to Balaam, that donkey that saved him from following the way of madness, rather than living his life as a rational, reasonable person. This, this donkey here is what caused that to happen, that God put the human voice in the donkey. These false teachers, they're following that way of madness. Right? Peter says that they're forsaking the right way. And, and in that illustration, he uses Balaam and the speaking donkey that, that he's reminding the readers, now this is a great reminder, that the donkey had more sense And the donkey had a better word from the Lord than Balaam. Y'all, a donkey in Scripture has a better word from the Lord than the false teachers around us. That's what Peter's telling us here. And he goes on to describe them further as these waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. The false teachers even in our day are going to be offering us some sort of refreshment, some sort of rest, some sort of promise of of goodness in a dry time. Yet they bring none. All they do is really sow confusion wherever they go. And and that what they sow is, is devoid of any inherent value. The false teachers specifically prey on on newly converted believers or those who are, who are young in their growth. And when I say young in their growth, 
I need you to understand that, that you can be a believer in Christ for 50 years and still be young in your growth. I, I get that that may sound harsh. But if you don't spend time on your own in the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, taking in the Word of God, you're not growing much in your own growth. As much as Chris and I would love to make sure that every single person who ever darkens the door at Calvary Heights Baptist Church or listens to us on Facebook or our podcast or whatever becomes a mature believer in Christ, the 52 sermons that you get from us are only 52 lectures a year out of an entire time spent. 52 times 45 is not a lot of growth in Christ because that's all you're getting. 52 sermons times about 45 minutes a sermon. We want you to grow. And we're going to give you the tools and the abilities to do that. But you've got to grow in your own. And he's praying. These false teachers are praying on these folks who are young in their walk, who are new to Christ. And they wind up making others become like them, the false teachers who are slaves of corruption. It's horrible that they pray that way. See, they, they teach that, that you can do whatever you want to do sexually and there will be no consequences. You can do whatever you want to do in your pursuits of desires, and there are no consequences. And here's the thing is that they do this under the false guise of freedom, right? There's this false promise of, of freedom that enslaves those they entice to sin. And see, and these false teachers are loud and they're exciting to hear. But I like what Peter says about them, right? For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice sensual passions of the flesh who are barely escaping those in their error. Loud boasts of folly is what Peter says there. He's calling them blowhards. Right? They're, they're loud, they're exciting to hear, but they're truly blowhards. They're, they're like a hard wind during a storm. They bring about more damage than they do good. These poor immature believers who've been duped by them. These poor guys have, have gone from the frying pan that was a pagan religion that they were practicing, and now they're into the fire that is truly heresy against a holy and just God. And the thing is, as we look at this, not much is different than today. There are many, many people out there who that believe that a, that a conservative, biblically faithful Christianity is just a set of rules that, that holds you back from having fun and living your best life and living your life to the fullest. There are even those who are within the church that proclaim that, that God wants you to be happy. Your happiness is His greatest desire for your life. And this is a false pursuit of freedom. It's a false pursuit of freedom that completely ignores what Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, verse 32 and, and 36, when he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This false pursuit of freedom is, an, is antith antithetical to the gospel. 
Because we are only truly free when we are free in Christ Jesus the Lord. We need a Savior. We're broke, and only He can fix us. And we need that Savior because the pursuit of the world and the temptations of false teaching leads to condemnation that we can't dig ourselves out of. But when we surrender our lives to Christ, who brings true freedom, true, deep, spiritual freedom that surpasses the pursuits of this world, that's real freedom. Every Christian, every Christian in every church needs to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, read it thoroughly, and then needs to do some self-evaluating. We need to ask ourselves, what am I pursuing? As, as I claim freedom in Jesus Christ, what am I pursuing that keeps me from freedom in Christ? What are things that keep me from that? Is, is there a, this is, this is that plank in the eye kind of moment, right? Jesus talks about seeing a speck in somebody else's when there's a plank in yours. We can easily see the fault in others, but we love to ignore our own faults. So we can decry gay marriage. We can decry transgenderism. We can, we can decry all these things that we see as evil and wicked in the world. But we're going to ignore our own lust. We're going to ignore our own gluttony. We're going to ignore our own materialism. Church, we can't do that. We cannot do that. We need to really have some self-evaluating moments here. What am I pursuing? What keeps me from true freedom in Christ? But see, as Peter describes the false teachers to close out this section, he says that they had escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But they had yet again become entangled in the defilements of the world. So what's happening here? Back when when Peter opens up the letter, he talks about us knowing things about the knowledge of God and knowledge of Christ. He talks about knowing the true gospel in this sense. So what's happening? These, These false teachers knew the gospel. How did this happen that they they turned away? They they got the gospel. Well, the problem was that they got the gospel, but the gospel never took root. Maybe they had some sort of philosophical understanding of the gospel. Maybe they had an intellectual understanding of the gospel, but they never had a heart-transforming interaction with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms hearts. See, these folks didn't lose their salvation. This is tough. Hear this. They didn't lose their salvation. No, Jesus preserves the saints. These folks didn't lose their salvation because they never had salvation. They were never made new creations by Jesus Christ. They were never made new creatures in Jesus. The profession of faith they had was a false profession of faith. Now, I'm going to say this. That is tough to hear. 
And it is tough to hear at a, at a lot of levels because this is the scariest type of lost person I think you can know. They may genuinely believe that they are saved and bound for heaven, but they show no signs of Jesus Christ ever changing their lives. These are the folks that you can sit down at a family dinner and ask them tough questions about the gospel and they can answer those questions about the gospel they can answer questions you have about jesus correctly and they can make a good show and i'm going to tell you this they have probably even convinced others that they are saved it's scary and living here rural indiana kind of the tip of the Bible belt. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of it in our community. There's a lot of it in our families. We need to take note of it. Because they may be convinced they're saved. They may have convinced some others that they're saved. But at the time of judgment, they're going to hear, depart from me, for I knew you not. And we all know that there are people in our circles that are of this kind of false belief. These false teachers experience that. And what we need to do is we need to pray for this great eye-opening experience for the people that we know that are in this situation. Some huge thing that God does in their lives, something that awakens them to the realization that they need real salvation through a real Savior who is Jesus. Because what Peter has to say next is, is really scary. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Peter's saying here that it would have been better for these folks to have never heard the gospel than to have heard it. Not just to have heard it, but then to know it and then to follow it. But then they wound up abandoning it. Not only did these false teachers then abandon the gospel, they didn't just abandon it, but then they began to lead others away from it. This is where my heart breaks. Because when I look at this, I see many who, who fall into this, this spectrum here on this. Folks that I know, folks that I care about, folks that I love, that when I look at this, I can say they have done this. They knew the gospel, but they never let it take root for whatever reason. They proclaimed that they were followers of Christ and have walked away and now we're leading others away. And it breaks my heart. Because it would have been better for them to have made no profession at all of Christ than to have made a false profession. It's not that if they had made no profession at all that, that at the end God was going to be okay with them and, and, and say to them, no, those who still don't have Christ still go to hell. I'm not saying that's not the case. 
The reason why it is better for those who have made a false profession to have made no profession at all is because there's a really, really low chance that they're ever going to come back to Christ. It's the reality of it. It's very unlikely for them to consider Christ again in their lives. And what's even more heartbreaking (coughs) is to consider that because they do have knowledge of what it was like to be a Christian. They do have experience and what it was like to have the Christian life. Like they're like the folks in the book of Hebrews that, that tasted and then still walked away. They are going to be held a little more accountable before God than those who have never heard the gospel. Or those who heard it and just rejected it blindly. There's a level of accountability here that's going to hurt. And especially those who are leading others away from the gospel. really devastating when I think about it because what they've done they have deemed bad what our Lord and Savior has deemed good they have declared things that are bad that God has declared good and this is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit this this is a heart and at the heart of of what Mark calls the unpardonable sin right to declare the goodness of God is bad and to claim light to be darkness, and to claim bondage to sin as freedom. In doing all of these things, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those things become mocked and spurned. This sin is unpardonable, not because God is unwilling to pardon, but because the one committing this kind of sin no longer recognizes that anything they do is sin. And if they recognize nothing they do is sin, they have no need for a Savior. And therefore, they reject the forgiveness that God is offering. It should break our hearts. Peter closes out this section by quoting Proverbs 26.11. 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit a fool who is a fool who repeats his folly. And then he adds his own little twist to the proverb at the end here when he says, and the sow after washing herself returns to the wallow and mire. See, these false teachers appeared to be saved. but They have returned to the vomit and mire of the world, showing they were never regenerated in Jesus Christ. They confessed Christ. They got baptized. They joined the church. They participated in the faith community. They looked like they had genuine faith. But in the long run, in the long term, they have been revealed to have not had a genuine faith. Peter's use here of the dog and the the sow illustration shows us that, that those who fall away never really had genuine faith. Their old nature never died off, and a a new nature in Christ was never born. A dog is going to eat what a dog is going to eat, and a pig's going to wallow in the mire, no matter what. You can't change a dog from doing that, and you can't keep a pig out of the mud. It's just who they are. But Christ makes you someone that you weren't. 
right? He changes you. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He changes you. And you no longer want puke and mud. You want better that he has to offer. Peter's up in the face of the churches he's writing to here. He's not pulling any punches about this issue. Peter is a pastor at heart. Remember, Peter, will you, will you, will you feed my sheep? Peter, will you take care of my sheep, right? Over and over again, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Will you love my sheep? He's a pastor at heart, and he's tired as he's getting up there in age a little bit, and he's done this for a while. He's tired of seeing the people of God that he's been called to care for, that he's been called to lead. He's tired of seeing them led astray. His heart is burdened for this. The modern church, the modern church, we need to hear these words. And we need to take these words not as an unloving rebuke, but as a wake-up call to stop playing nice with false teachers. No more Mr. Nice Guy when it calls comes down to heresy that is not in Scripture. We need to seriously take take into consideration the damage done in the church by false teachers. We need to seriously consider the damning effects false teachers have on unbelievers. And we need to stop and think about if we are consorting with false teachers, what does that do to our witness in Christ and for Christ? If you're a follower of Christ today, I want you to consider those things. Ask those questions about what's keeping me from really being fully sold out to Christ. What's keeping me from, from, from really following deeply? What's, what's holding me back? Are there false teachers that I'm dabbling with here or there? Are there things that I hear said that, that sound good and feel comforting, but maybe aren't fully in line with Scripture? I need to purge myself of those things. If you're not a follower of Christ, man, I want you to know Jesus. I want to have a conversation with you about what it means to, to truly be spiritually free, to pursue the things that are going to matter in eternity rather than to pursue things that are not going to last. As we get ready to have our time of of invitation. Our altar is always open. And we want you to just take the time to, to do business with God. That's what our, our call to action, our, our call of invitation is about. It's a time for you to respond to what you've heard today. What are the Spirit is laying on your heart? What you've heard from the Lord and how you need to, to move forward from here. We encourage you to do so. Father, we just thank you again so much. Thank you for tough passages. But I thank you for apostles who, through the Spirit, don't pull any punches and write tough things to us as a church today. I thank you that you have given us every ability that we need to stand firm in our faith, 
You've given it to us through your word. Father, I pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, just encourage us to be more mindful of the time we spend in the word. Encourage us to be more mindful of who we listen to as a teacher. Encourage us to ask for discernment so that we may know when to confront what we hear being false. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to pray for those that we know who have maybe been led astray. We ask that you would change their hearts because that's what you do. Teach us to honor and glorify you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray.